0: Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. It is Thursday, January 11th, and it is a two-man booth again, but it's uh, Pete Sampson from The Athletic joining myself, Tim Priester, for Irish Illustrated Insider. We have some ton ton of Notre Dame news in terms of recruits committing. Uh, grad transfers coming Notre way. Rod Rod Hurd, the second from Northwestern, Jaden Harrison from Marshall. But before we get into all of that, uh, uh, Pete, let's wrap up uh, the college football season, the twenty twenty three college football season. Michigan defeats Washington thirty four to thirteen. It was kind of closer than that, at least in the third quarter. Into the third quarter, at one point, uh, but then they pulled away. And of course, we want to talk about Nick Saban. No longer being the uh, the head coach at, at Alabama and some other longtime coaches stepping out of of the coaching world, but Pete, let's start with Michigan, Washington, 34, 13. in the end, that score was pretty commensurate to the type of game it was. Michigan was the best team in the country. I thought that by the middle early to middle of November. I know that upsets a lot of people. doesn't thrill me either, but Michigan was the best team in the country.
1: In the preseason, the athletic asked us all to make bold predictions for the season. And mine was Michigan would win the national championship, and Jim Harbaugh would go to the NFL. Um, I wish I could have probably find a place to take that uh, two way parlay, but uh, I didn't. It was I mean it was a fun game to watch. Um, I think those the games where there's a real contrast in styles I enjoy, and this one was was a real contrast in styles. I i. Wish that I watched more of Washington this year because their offense is incredibly fun to watch with Penix and the three receivers, Polk, Adunze, and McMillan. But uh, it was a reminder that, I mean, how many times have we said, can you get pressure with four? And if the answer is yes, you're really hard to do anything against even with it's Penix and those three wide receivers and a great, offensive uh, play caller and grub with the who who's an incredible head coach um Michigan won that game in the trenches there's some questions about this in segment two um that but there are
0: nope we got a frozen we got a frozen pizza yeah if
1: yep. I was Notre Dame I would feel good about
0: yeah you froze there for a second Pete so we we missed it right at the end but I'll just go ahead and chime in certainly when when uh, Washington's running back uh, Dylan Johnson was was injured that that didn't help at all and then no. Michael Penix got the stuffings knocked out of him by Michigan's defense and you're absolutely right about the four-man front um uh congratulations on you picking it picking Michigan way ahead of what I suggested I did <laughs> uh be, well I like my concerns were the losses on the defensive side of the ball from last year to this year with Michigan but they they didn't miss a beat the schedule helps. You know, I get that. The cheating helps. I get that. They were still the best team in the country. And as as difficult as that is for a a lot of people uh, to swallow, it is is what it is. And so we move on and we fully expect Jim Harbaugh not to be at Michigan next year. Um, That's not quite as definitive as the fact that Nick Saban will not be the head coach at Alabama after – 17 years there. Bill Belichick will not be the head coach of the New England Patriots after 24 years there. And Pete Carroll will not be the Seahawks head coach after 14 years in Seattle.
1: Nick Saban stepping down, uh, retiring on the same year where the playoff changes just feels like such a sea change for the sport. Um, he, I mean, he was just such an anchor. To like how you viewed college football it was everybody else chasing nick saban like now the guy that everyone was trying to be is not there anymore and that's i don't know it just kind of unmoors um i think how you view the sport and like who you're trying to go get like the uh the biggest baddest bully has left the room um and i mean he's the greatest college head coach of all time i mean he's be- the this the, there are so many stats like you read yesterday that blow your mind, but the one w- that really got me was he has had Alabama at number one in the AP poll for more weeks than any other program in history ever. <laughs> it's just like, what, how is this even possible? But that's how good he was. Uh, I think he was also was in his 15 years at Alabama or 17 years at Alabama, he got them to number one, at least once 15 time in 15 different seasons. I mean, that's it's just hard to get your head around the level of success that he had there. And I mean, just even to put it in Notre Dame context, you think about the 2012 game and the style of team that bludgeoned Notre Dame there. And then how Notre Dame spent the next eight years trying to build that team. (laughs) Only to see Alabama again and see that Alabama had reinvented itself two or three times over since um, with wide receiver play and spreading it out and quarterback development. And then you're like, oh, now we have to chase an entirely different animal here than the one we spent eight recruiting classes trying to copy. Uh, It's it's just wild. I mean, I. Who know? You, maybe you could put Nick Saban down to the reason Brian Kelly left Notre Dame in the first place, uh, because what you're trying to chase at Alabama, he just felt like he couldn't do it at Notre Dame, and maybe he felt like he had a better chance to do it at LSU.
0: Yeah, I, there's no doubt in my mind the greatest coach of all time, and and I'm I'm old enough to like I was an early teen when Paul Bear Bryant's coaching career uh, concluded at, at, at Alabama, and but the the ground rules there were they were so different then you didn't there you had unlimited scholarships, you had unlimited and unchecked cheating. <laughs> I mean, you could you could do whatever you wanted to do there. you didn't you didn't have a a system to to catch people and and their recruiting violations. I'm not even sure what the rule book said. But you know, to win in this day and age, where the talent we've seen the talent spread out all over the country to c- continue to, to dominate and Kirby smart, you know, he, he stuck his foot in the door and obviously dominated for the better part of three seasons. And, uh, he's probably happiest of all that Nick Saban <laughs> retired, um, you know, yesterday or announced that he would be doing that, but there's no doubt that uh, just absolutely phenomenal, um, 16 straight top 10 finishes and 15 of those were single digits. I mean, he was always competing, for the national title he did not lose more than two games in his last 13 seasons i think the most maybe the most startling stat is that in 17 seasons in alabama he only had two undefeated years you, you Yeah, you would have expected it, that he had a more you know some cleaner slates than that but you know
1: nobody's perfect tim
0: nobody's perfect uh, but he came damn close and and uh, just uh, you know, what more can you say? Everybody else is going to say it here in the next week uh plus it'll be interesting to see who replaces him though although Pete, I'm sure the athletic uh has a line on that and uh, I'm speculating that it's Dan landing from from Oregon.
1: I think it's pretty informed speculation based on talking to my colleagues um that's I think the the first call that got made there's some kind of Web rumors or Twitter rumors out there that, you know, he's already on the way to Tuscaloosa, but, you know, he's got at least some experience at Alabama under Nick Saban. Um, I think his recruiting chops at Oregon have been proven to be very high end. He's been a, he's able to play sort of the portal NIL game really well. Um, you know, and he he's won a lot in a short amount of time there. Um, so, yeah, that would that would be my first call if I was them. Um you know, Mike Norvell would probably be my second call, but I'm not sure they're going to get past their first call there.
0: And I'm sure Steve Sarkeesian's off the field issues. I, I mean, I I I, I don't know why I,
1: you'd leave. To, like Texas is a place that I would not leave.
0: Well, it's a good point. That's a good. Or point.
1: Oregon, I would, as many coaches have left.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's tucked. <laughs> you ever been to Eugene, Oregon?
1: i've i would like to go there but
0: uh it's 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 a really well it's a beautiful area of the country i've said many times my oldest brother has lived there for for the better part of of 50 years and uh it's it's incredible you're you're 45 minutes from from the ocean and you're 45 minutes from the mountains in the other direction Um, and you're
1: eight hours from the nearest five-star prospect
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, that's just it. Yeah. You're, you're tucked away in the upper, uh, you know, Northwest and they've had a a tremendous amount of success. You obviously can win there, but you're just so, you're just so far away from the mainstream of, of major college football up there um, that, yeah, certainly, as you said, there've been many coaches there. So it would appear it's Dan Lanning. Uh, You and I both had a laugh about, the speculation that Marcus Freeman was a candidate. There were actually Notre Dame fans that were concerned that Marcus Freeman was a candidate. Maybe someday that would be the case, but not two years into being a head coach. And Notre Dame with some of the losses and some of the issues that, you know, I mean, it's, it's it's a difficult job at Notre Dame following Brian Kelly. There have been some stumbles along the way, but in no way would Alabama consider that are replacing nick saban with marcus freeman
1: No, it's like yeah you meant following brian kelly is difficult
0: yeah following I mean,
1: nick saban yeah it's a little it's kind of a different animal down there i mean i marcus freeman is in the perfect job right now because he's at a place that wants to compete for national championships but will also give you time to grow as a coach alabama there is no grace period at all uh, if he went 11 and one at Alabama next year, it would be a down year. Uh, I mean, Nick Saban's final year ended with an SEC championship, and they made the College Football Playoff, and it's like, eh, I guess um, it's it just is a completely different beast down there. Uh, Marcus Freeman is still growing as a head coach. Notre Dame, he's he's fortunate to be in a place like Notre Dame that allows him to have the space to grow. Uh, I think that he realizes that. Um, and that's kind of where I would leave that. I just, I just, I can't, I mean, we I think we talked off air, like if Ohio state opened, I'm not sure Ohio state would hire him either because he's still growing as a head coach. And that, that's another place where you need somebody who's like box ready to go. Um, and Marcus Freeman is, you know, still kind of in development as a head coach.
0: I've got to believe that Ohio state took great notice of the news yesterday from the NFL that Mike Vrabel. Yes. The Titans was relieved of his duties after six years. I think Mike Vrabel at Ohio state would scare the notion of that is a little scary to Michigan who
1: he would be there. He would be a Harbaugh there.
0: Yeah. He would, none of us expect Jim Harbaugh to be at Michigan next year. Correct. Yep. Correct. correct. So um, yeah, Mike Vrabel replacing Ryan day and Ryan days. You know, I mean, I was the first to say, come on, man, look, how many, look, look at his record. But when you take a closer look at Ohio State here the last couple of years, there's there's validity to what Lou Holtz uh, brought up about the, the overall physical toughness of Ohio State. Mike Vrabel would give them that. But enough about that. There's a lot of Nordic news this week. Uh, and, and it started, I, I guess it started last week with Chris Burgess. The defensive end uh, from Chicago, verbally committing Nordame, Ethan Long, the safety from uh, from the New England area, from Connecticut, Greenwich. Connecticut also jumped in. And then Nordame added two uh, transfer portal guys, Jaden Harrison, wide receiver from Marshall. But the guy that I'm really excited about is Rod Hurd II, the, the safety from Northwestern, who did some things at Northwestern who put up numbers his solo tackles would have led Notre Dame by more than a dozen this year. Um, he's a good football player. He's a physical football player and a really, really nice compliment to Xavier Watts on the back end of Notre Dame's defense.
1: I think he's a more versatile and accomplished DJ Brown. And I i mean that purely as a compliment uh, to Hurd. I think that he can come down and play in the box a little bit more than I think Brown was capable of doing. I'm not saying he has great ball skills. He had one pick and I think four PBVUs last year, but a much, I think a much better tackler um, than Brown was, or a much more consistent tackler, I should say, than Brown was. I think he was third on the team in Northwestern in tackles. So this, this sort of answers the question of like, who are you going to start next to Xavier Watts? And it's, it's so significant to me because if it wasn't for Hurd, then is it, Don Schuler? Is it Luke Talich? Is it Ben Minich? Like I, Notre Dame didn't want to have to find out. Um now you can sort of develop those guys for another year. So a year from now, when the entire when the room clears out, um you have a sense of a little bit more of what you have there and you develop them for two full years instead of one. So it's uh I mean herd there's a pretty good chance Notre Dame will start eight seniors on defense now with, with Heard starting next to Xavier Watts. Like that that is really significant to me. So I yeah, I like I'm sure that once we get O'Malley back in here we'll rank some things and one of them will be like level of intrigue for the incoming graduate transfers, but I mean Hurd is third after Leonard and Open at this point. I mean I I I'm kind of more intrigued by Hurd than I am any of the receivers just based on the tape and the experience and the fact that he's played what twenty seven hundred saps or some, just some ridiculous number at Northwestern over the previous five years?
0: Yeah, the, P. What you mentioned about the senior starting next year—that's incredible. When you just lost Javante Jean Baptiste, Maris Leafau, Cam Hart, J.D. Bertrand, right. D. Brown. I mean that that that's incredible. He is not a. I mean, he's an in the box safety. He he like you know they run a lot of Tampa too, or at least what I saw they did you know, and he'll come up and strike you. I mean, he will come up and strike you, but he's not a, like he'll get in, he'll get in the box, like, you know, like a third linebacker, like an outside linebacker, but he's not a, he's not going to press you at the line of scrimmage. At least he wasn't asked to do that in Northwestern. His passes broken up are not deflections as much as they are drilling the guy, filling and drilling and, and dislodging the football from the receiver. So, He's ultra physical um he 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 blitzed a few times when he comes off the edge he looks pretty quick and decisive he has that ability before contact where you see a visible acceleration within the last few few yards uh, of of contact with the receiver or running back or whatever he is a downhill in the box safety that's going to crack people and He's durable as hell. He played all 25 games the last two years. He missed a couple games in September of his sophomore season, but he played the last eight. I'm thrilled for Notre Dame that they got Rod Hurd the second. What are your thoughts, Pete, on Jaden Harrison?
1: You know, I with three incoming receivers, and I you you would hope that Jaden Thomas stays healthy and Jordan Faison develops and Jaden Greyhouse develops. Uh, maybe, maybe there's uh, you know, whether it's Cam Williams or Micah Gilbert, maybe there's sort of a complementary role. So it's Jaden Harrison. It's like, if there's a role for him on special teams, is he the fifth receiver? That's sort of how, how I see him. Um, but right now uh, I mean, O'Malley and, and I have talked about this a lot. How many receivers do you need on scholarship to have a, an effective receiver room? Not just in the games, but in practices. Um, and you need ten or eleven. Harrison would makes eleven, assuming nobody else leaves. Um, and I, I'm sure that somebody else will leave. So I, I think that getting him make ensures the fact that when training camp starts in August, you'll be at ten, and that's that's not insignificant. Um, you know, so if, if Jaden, I don't know what Jaden Harris's role can be. In the offense, maybe there's more of a role in special teams. Um, I don't know if you want to stick Jeremiah Love and Jadarian Price out on kickoff return, if either of them are your starting running back. Maybe Harrison helps you that way. Um, but it's much more like I think I see Bo Collins and Chris Mitchell as potential like lead receivers, like in the first three. Harrison I see as more of a complementary piece to the offense.
0: I agree with virtually everything you said there. I, I the the notion that. You know, Jaden Harrison doesn't move the needle in the receiver room. I, I don't, like, is he, maybe he is the fifth receiver. I I don't know, but I know that he's one of the four most uh, experienced receivers in the room right now with Bo Collins and Chris Mitchell and Jaden Thomas. The kick return thing, that's exactly what I said, Pete, in my film review of him. What, regardless which of the two running backs is a starter, though, that's, that's number one and number two. So you don't want either one of them returning kicks. Right. And Price did a Price did a great job, but you know, the 99 yarder against USC, but Jaden Harrison has three 90 plus yard kick returns in his career. So, you know, he's tough. He's physical as a receiver. You catch a football, he's not afraid of contact. He'll initiate contact. He has a little bit of burst once he gets gets rolling. I think he's at his best when he has when he has the football in his hands, and there's a little distance between him and the defender trying to make the tackle because he's got some really nice wiggle in that situation. So he's a veteran receiver. Did you say 10? Are you, a, because that gives him 11. You're assuming.
1: Yeah, no, I'm saying if, answer. if somebody, somebody will leave because yes. as a Valley yeah. says, somebody always leaves right now, mm-hmm. they're at 11. So I'm saying when August hits, right, right. It makes you'll be at 10 for sure. Um, And I think that's, that's significant too. I, I think some portal additions, you're looking for a starter. Riley Leonard, RJ open. Yeah. Sometimes you're trying to make your 85 man roster better. Um, and, you know, Jaden Harrison makes your, your fifth receiver better than it was a week ago. Um, and there's, there's real value in that. I mean, how many, how many years have we watched Notre Dame and thought like, or watched other teams and think like their fourth or fifth receiver is out there making plays and Notre Dame doesn't even have a legitimate fourth or fifth receiver not like this ensures the fact that they will next year.
0: No doubt. Receiver room is vastly improved. We have a question about who's the number one receiver. We'll address that in uh segment two coming up, burning up the boards, burning up the boards is segment two. We start with a question from Jack Mack 99. Now that a second Midwest school has won the national championship in the last decade in college football, how close is Notre Dame to Michigan in terms of roster coaching NIL etc.
1: Um uh, I mean there's a few different ways to answer this. One of the last 16 national champions 14 were from the south, so I I'd be hesitant to be like well there's a trend now that uh Midwest teams are are winning. Um but I think the more significant part there is the style of play that won this year is one that Notre Dame can replicate and is replicating. I mean I think that Notre Dame has has played this way before, whether it be 2018 or 2020. Uh, It's kind of how Marcus Freeman wants the program to play, where it's very offensive and defensive line driven. Uh, Michigan does a great, great job of that as well. So uh, I think from the NIL point of view, Michigan did a great job keeping old talent around last year. Notre Dame did a great job this winter of keeping old talent around. Um, Michigan did a really nice job in the portal. Notre Dame's done a really nice job in the portal. I think that the coaching is obviously a huge difference. Uh, Jim Harbaugh and Marcus Freeman are not. It's not a apples to apples comparison. There, one has coached in the Super Bowl and won a national championship. The other one has just finished his second season. But um, I think in terms of how the programs are run uh, on the field and off the field, very similar. And I. I think that Notre Dame can look at what Michigan did and feel like, okay, that's, that's stuff that we can do too.
0: Yeah, there's no, this is not a college football trend or a Midwest trend. It's a Michigan trend. They've been yeah. It's like
1: the, I love that. Like the, like, finally, someone has broken this cabal of Southern teams. <laughs> it just happens to be the all-time winningest program in college football.
0: Right, right. They've been sensational for three years, and Ohio State has been very, very good since Urban Meyer got there and, and continued on. So I don't think there's a trend of now teams are going to run the ball and stop the run and win national titles. I still think that's a really, really key component. I will always think that uh, mainly because I come from a generation that that's exactly how you always won, but you know, credit to Michigan, Jim Harbaugh, tremendous what they've been able to do. I agree with your point, Pete, about being older. That's huge. And in previous segment, we mentioned about the defense still being old. That is. That is still really important, but I, I you know, the, the SEC is not going away. That kind of football is not going away, and and uh, I still think striking that balance and being able to throw the football, do things in the passing game, which you see what Notre Dame has done at the quarterback position in the last two years, and getting a grad transfer quarterback that they feel comfortable can throw the football, and then of course improving their their wide receiver room dramatically, uh, while always having tight ends that you can throw the football to, but I mean, I don't think, you know, Mike Denbrock, I mean, he still is inheriting a roster that, that is generally speaking at its best when they're 12 and 13 personnel, I think that you still try to take your game to the next level in terms of spreading the football around to your wide receivers and running your quarterback, which Riley Leonard is, is capable of doing, but this is a, what, what we witnessed was a Michigan trend. And it's always great to look. If you run the ball and stop the run, it means you're controlling the line of scrimmage. So you got yeah. great great win every time.
1: I was going to say one more micro part of this that is probably significant. Michigan had two five star prospects on its entire roster. That's a little bit more like in Notre Dame's lane than twenty five star prospects that you know maybe you'd see at Alabama or Georgia. Um, so that's in terms of roster construction. I think that's another part that if I was Notre Dame should feel a little bit heartened that like, okay, maybe you're not going to win every year. And I think Michigan's probably going to take a big step back next year for multiple reasons, but um, they were, they got, they had a nice group of guys that they were able to develop together, get old together, and maybe they weren't like the elite of the elite coming out of high school, but they just, they played very well together as a team. They had a a great culture there. Um, I realized that people are probably screaming about Connor Stallions right now as they're listening to this. That's fine. Um, but the players were, they just had a good culture there um, in terms of player development in getting old together. And I think Notre Dame can do that as
0: well. And to answer the question, I mean, yes, I do think Notre Dame is trending in the direction that Michigan took. And that's, that's, that's a good thing. It's yep. still, you still have to, you still have to spread the football around in the passing game. And they intend to do that. As well. Question from play like a champ seven last season, Notre Dame played without a true number one wide receiver. Do you feel that with the addition through the portal, the additions through the portal, I should say, returning players and recruits that they can go into spring ball, still searching for that.
1: Definitely still searching for that. I'm not sure that they'll find a true number one uh, on the roster um, among the non freshmen I'll say, or, or among the non-early enrollees. But um, they should have a better number two and a better number three and a better number four than they did last year, and there's real value in that.
0: Yeah, I agree with that, Pete. I mean, I you know, last year when we were talking about true number one, well, that's a little bit different because now you're looking at, you know, who's that who's it going to be, Jaden Thomas? I mean, he was the most likely candidate. Now, even if you don't – well, I mean, I think you could have a true number one I think Chris Mitchell has that ability. I know when Notre Dame landed him, we were saying he's a number two. Uh, but the, I think your point, Pete, about your numbers, two, three, four, and five, if those guys are better, it mitigates not having a Roma Dunze or somebody that clearly isn't a, a number one. That room is a lot stronger, which means having a true, quote, true number one is not as important. They can spread the football around. To a lot, to to four or five, maybe six guys that you know are capable of being, you know, quality receivers. We've just we've just seen a little bit of what Jaden Greathouse is going to be able to do. It's a it's a damn shame Rico Flores is gone because the same thing was true with him. I, a lot of people are waiting on Deion Colsey to emerge. I don't, I don't think I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I I think the bulk of Notre Dame's Receptions are going to be in the hands of Thomas, Mitchell, Collins, uh, and and maybe in and Great House, and then maybe Harrison. Who am I missing there, Pete? I think that those would be. Oh, Faison, of course. Right. You know, your t- your top six. You've got a really solid top six, which we never said that at any point this past season.
1: No, it's. I mean, just Collins, Mitchell, and Harrison their career stats incoming 264 catches, 3,721 yards and 23 touchdowns. Like you you just can't help but get better with that level of experience uh, joining the room.
0: Question from Dashing Domer, the transition to a roster completely composed of Freeman recruits hasn't happened yet. There's still a huge dependency on veteran holdovers, very good veteran holder holdovers, admittedly. Do you expect a seamless transition to Freeman's guys after Cross, Mills, Kaiser, Watts, et cetera, move on? In other words, I expect 2024 to be really good. Do you expect a brief regression after that or a steady path upward?
1: I I don't know. Uh, my hunch would be that the 2024 team would be better than the 2025 team, though, uh, because of the guys that were listed here that will be moving on. Plus, let's be honest, Benjamin Morrison, um, you'll, you'll, you, in an ideal world, I think you're probably starting a sophomore quarterback in 2025. Cause CJ Carr is what you thought he was going to be. Um, I think 2025 would sort of be the beginning of the next cycle up of Notre Dame football. Um, so you take a step back to then take steps forward in 26 and 27. So, um, you know, here on January 11th, um, I think that the 2025 team will be a, a step back from the 2024 team, but again, it's January 11th.
0: I, I have to admit, I've not given a whole lot of thought to what the 2025 <laughs> team is going to be like, but it's a, it's a legit question from dashing Domer. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, this is, this is a crescendo year for Notre Dame in 2024, um, you're still old. You got the quarterback that you wanted in, in, uh, as a grad transfer, the playoffs have expanded to 12 teams. Uh, Notre Dame's in a good position to, and I think we're going to address this with our last question. I think Notre Dame's in a good position to host a playoff game, um, come December. I, I think this is a really, really impressive looking roster when you add, Jeter, the kicker, the three uh, wide receivers we talked about, Hurd at safety, Leonard at quarterback, Oben at defensive end. Did I forget somebody there, Pete? Among the, I think yeah,
1: yeah you got everybody.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I would think in twenty twenty five we will see a higher number of grad transfers just out of necessity. But I agree with you, Pete. I think it's a, uh, it's a little bit of a changing of the guard, and at Notre Dame, changing of the guard uh, can't be worse than nine and three.
1: Yeah. And that's fine. And like if they go 11 and one this year and nine and three, I think that you wouldn't say that that, that wouldn't be a um, steady path upward, but I just, I think that it taking a step back to then hopefully take two steps forward is, is a, a logical and sound plan. If you're Marcus Freeman.
0: All right. Quick look at the 2025 schedule. <laughs> Your name opens at home with Texas A&M. They play Purdue. They visit Arkansas, they host USC, Navy, at Boston College, at Miami, NC State, Syracuse, at Pittsburgh. As we look at the back... Show me
1: the loss. Show me the loss, Tim.
0: As we look at the back end of that schedule, with the perception of these schools that we have at this moment, Navy, Boston College, Oh, you know what, I'm sorry, those dates aren't determined. But the following schools... Navy, Boston College, Miami, NC State, Syracuse at Pittsburgh, the Miami games at Miami, uh, Purdue's at home. I mean, I guess as we look at that one, that's, uh, wow, that's really less intimidating than 2024 because 2024 has Texas A&M, USC, Louisville, and Florida State, and we think of Louisville and Florida State in a much different way now than we did a year ago. So we shall see. We shall see. Question from TK Browns 84. Prior to this year, having national championship expectations felt unrealistic given the landscape of college football with the halves, like Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and everyone else given this year's national champion. In fact, those two teams got to the championship game. Uh, or or Michigan did, I'm sorry. Can winning a national championship for Notre Dame fans now be an expectations? That expectation that is not unreasonable. Um
1: they you know, could be. I you know, I I think it's worth looking back at this year. It's like, what happens if Georgia wins the SEC? Are we having this conversation about Michigan today? Because Georgia's probably your national champion, not Michigan. Um but the playoff is expanding and next year this year's Georgia team would be in the playoff. So you have to, you have to reckon with them at some point. So I, I think it gets harder to win a national championship in the new field than it did in the old field for Notre Dame. And it got harder in the old field than it did in the BCS and it got harder in the BCS than it did when it was just, let's just vote on who's number one. So um, I think one thing about the new playoff that is critical that I didn't really think about until last week was just how important it is that Notre Dame gets the number five seed in the the bracket next year, whether that means they finish one, two, three, or four, or five, doesn't matter. They would be they would only be the five seed because then you're hosting a playoff game against a group of five champion. Like that would have been Liberty this year. And then in round two at a neutral site, you get to play the worst conference champion which is not going to be from the SEC or the Big Ten, which is where all the elite schools are. So you're getting Clemson. Maybe you're getting Utah. Uh, maybe you're getting Oklahoma State. Um, maybe maybe Florida State. I don't know. But uh, to have a group of five champion at home and then a Big 12 or ACC champion in round two and then get to jump into like whoever's left from the SEC and the Big Ten Still very difficult, but um, I don't think it's unreasonable to, to to look at Notre Dame and think, "Hey, could they win it all?" But I don't think it was unreasonable in 2020, nor do I think it was unreasonable in 2018 either.
0: Yeah, I, I like. I'm having a hard time seeing how expanding the 12 makes it better for Notre Dame. It makes it no better for them to get into the the playoffs, but they then they have they have to win three games. I'm not sure that that necessarily makes it better. You, you Notre Dame probably. You know, in both instances, when they went to the playoffs, they went undefeated during the regular season. And so going undefeated during the regular season in a 14 playoff would be better because you only have to win two games as opposed to, to you know, winning three now. Yeah,
1: that, that Kansas State uh, potential in 2012 is no and, longer there.
0: No, I, I mean, not even close, not even close. And and but yet Notre Dame was really, really close to having that set up. And and I think we all felt good about Notre Dame winning the national title under those circumstances. Yeah, but I understand, look, I understand TK Brown's 84's point in the point of the question. Um, but I mean Notre Dame just has to be that much better and that much deeper and that much more physical to withstand three playoff games to right to them all, you know. Well, four
1: playoff games.
0: Well, that's right. It is four. It is yeah. four, right, because they can't get a bye. I'm not sure if everybody understands that. That was negotiated um, in in good faith by Jack Swarbrick because Notre Dame – well, first of all, I don't think everybody would have accepted Notre Dame being one of the top four seeds because they don't have a conference championship game that they have to get through. So,
1: No, It's and I mean, you think about the teams – think about the team that loses the Big Ten – and the Pac-12 or the Big Ten and the SEC championship games years forward, right. that's that could be a 12 and 0 team, right? That loses that game, uh, then they're going to have to turn around and play a fifth or fifth sixteenth game. I mean, they'll have to host a playoff game immediately after just losing, probably a gut wrenching conference championship game two weeks earlier. That's going to be brutal for that team
0: is it 17 games
1: yeah because that would be 13 yes 13 it would be yeah they would have to win 17, 17 games or yeah, I, I, they would have to play 17 games
0: what are we doing what are we doing we're playing oh what are we doing man 17 17 college can you imagine i've always said this <laughs> can you imagine covering 17 games in the in the uh, nfl in a year
1: yeah, now we get to maybe do it in college. I mean, this time next year, we'll still be, what, nine days away from the national championship game.
0: Yeah, 17 games in a year is what uh, sends Priester to the a retirement portal.
1: <laughs> that's it's why, okay. I mean, that's Notre Dame will only have to play 16 because they don't have a conference yeah. championship
0: game. Yeah, no, as much as I love it. Uh, don't get me wrong. But uh, anyway, we move on to Kaiser Wilhelm. Wilhelm. Third Aim invests a lot of time and effort into scheduling marquee matchups, but going into the new playoff system and looking at the past two years of Michigan's success, isn't one of the lessons that the path to win a national championship is to coast early and hope for a weak field?
1: Um, well, I mean, the weak field we already addressed in the previous question. There are no more weak fields, like the weak field part's gone. Um, when you go to 12, that's just sort of a, a reality. I think Notre Dame's schedule next year is sort of coasting. Uh, It's a really nice schedule to, you know, if you can get that one out of the gate, then you got a chance to grow for a long time. And even if you lose that first one out of the gate, you got a chance to grow into the season, which I think they might need offensively. But um, yeah, next, I think next year's schedule is, uh, I'm not saying it's as easy as Michigan's ones last year, but it's, it's, it's closer than I think a lot of our
0: fans would like it to be. And I just want to, I just want to say something about the schedule. I mean, you know, if you were like we, and this is in general in college football, when we see the schedule, we act like, Oh, they, they scheduled this, you know, these easy opponents. Well, Stanford was really good a few years ago. And Virginia was very, was a really challenging opponent. A, a handful of years ago, Miami of Ohio, they're the defending Mac champs. Purdue had a really good year last year, right? Uh Northern Illinois. You, you can't control it. And and this one appears to break in Notre Dame's favor. And just...
1: yeah, Miami Florida backed out. Right. I think we'd look at the schedule. Not, I mean, not, not that Miami, Florida is. I mean, I think to quote you, they stink. Um, but still, they have some good players there. And if they were coming to Notre Dame Stadium next season. I think we would look forward to that game and be, this is a game that's interesting yeah. as it stands. The, I mean, the home schedule in particular is, is tough uh, to get excited about, but um, it's a schedule set up to make the playoff. I think we can, we can all agree on that. Right.
0: But, but uh, i mean, like, the intention wasn't okay. This is our schedule. So that we can make Notre yeah. doesn't function that way. And they never have. And Jack Swarbert certainly never has. he, like half the people complain about being too easy and, and we get the other side where, you know, why is Swarbrick scheduling Georgia and, you know, Georgia, they play Georgia. Why, you know, Alabama comes on the schedule in, in a while. I You just don't know how it's going to break, but Notre Dame has never been of the mindset. Let's schedule something that's easy so we can win the national title. Yeah. I, it just, it just, for that. It just, it, in my it might break their
1: way. I mean, what the best example is probably what the Texas series in 15 and 16, right? When that got scaled, you were like, oh, Texas, this is incredible. Those Texas teams were terrible. I mean, it just, it just didn't North break that. It just didn't break their way.
0: Yeah. So, um, nor, nor name is not going to, it, it hasn't happened in my lifetime and I don't anticipate, even though they have a new off, a new, not offensive coordinator, a new <laughs> Uh, sport uh, athletics director coming in. I don't think that they're going to change the philosophy. We have a basketball question for Indy hoops are, or from Indy hoops are us. And that is please comment on the significance of of the overtime win over Georgia tech the other night.
1: Uh, I mean, it was critical from a, I think just sort of a culture building standpoint. Um, I thought how they won it. I'm not I'm not saying it had to be that way, but for Georgia hit Tech to hit that ridiculous three pointer at the end of regulation and then Notre Dame have to come back from that, I think maybe makes it even more significant. Um, like Georgia Tech is not good, but Notre Dame's not good either. And they're they're striving to be like a middle of the pack ACC teams, uh, ACC team. And I think, you know, this is a, a step toward that. Um, and that's. I mean, you, you guys talked about on the previous, their they're, Dame is very limited offensively. They're going to continue to be very limited offensively, but that shouldn't take away from the fact that you play your ass off on defense, and they do. Um, so it's, I think it's a, a significant step forward for
0: them. Notre Dame went into the game the other night at McCamish Pavilion, having lost six of the previous eight. I don't think Georgia Tech is a snake pit of a basketball uh, arena to go into, but they had lost 6 of 8 and so it's they had good.
1: Lo- I mean Notre Dame lost 13 straight ACC road games.
0: Yeah, uh, right. So, I mean, every place on the road is difficult for Notre Dame, and and you're absolutely right Pete. To win the way they did. Now, now Kelly, um uh, their their sharp shooting three-pointer was was killing them, but the guy that hit the three was his game is not outside there so it was it could have been devastating to them going into to uh to overtime, but and I also want to comment about Braden Shrewsbury. And and I and I've said on occasion that he that he plays too much. And I thought and, I, and I, I'm not changing my opinion about that as it relates to overtime against Georgetown when J.R. Kinesny didn't play and they lost that game. But let's be realistic. Okay. This is a I mean, this is a building blocks year. And I don't I don't necessarily mean that each individual. I'm talking about the foundation of your program, rebounding and playing defense they do that this team is not good enough for anybody to be complaining about braden shrewsbury shooting too much i mean they need they need offense and again i i'm admitting that i have i have been a critic of that all right but they're not losing games because braden shrewsbury is playing too much i would point out the georgetown game i thought knesny who scored in that game should have had an opportunity in in overtime but the 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 point being that well, as it relates to this game, the significance, to answer the question, the difference between being two and four, three in a conference and one and four is massive. One game under 500, three games under five hundred. Um, the euphoria of winning a road game finally after losing 13 in a row on the road, as you pointed out, Pete, as opposed to going back to practice, flying back from Atlanta and being one and four, now facing – a Florida State team that is a little bit hot, that's playing good basketball. Just defeated uh, uh, undefeated in the ACC Wake Forest at home, albeit. And now they're coming into to, uh, Purcell Pavilion. So um, just from a psyche standpoint, I, I like what Micah Shrewsbury is doing because this team is being built on defense and rebounding which was the exact opposite of what it had been built on in, in previous years. And I think it's important to be, to, you know what that's like, Pete, that's like running the football well and stopping the run. Those are two staples of quality basketball. The offense will come in time, but only when the roster composition is different, they don't have enough offensive firepower right now. Question from uh, Sean, uh, Sean o D. 64. What does the starting secondary with the nickel look like in August at College Station?
1: I mean, I think the, well, I I was going to say the first four are obvious, but I'm not sure that's actually true. Uh, Xavier Watts, Benjamin Morrison, Rod Hurd. Beyond that, I'm pretty open to other suggestions. I I like Christian Gray a lot. Um, I wonder if I like Christian Gray because I don't know what he's not good at yet. Um, which sometimes we fall into that trap with young players. We see the the highs, but don't know enough about the lows yet. Um, but I would like I I want to see Christian Gray get a chance to compete for either the starting corner opposite Ben Morrison or the starting nickel. Um, and I know Jordan Clark there is there. Jaden Mickey is there. We'll see about Clarence Lewis. Um, they have some options to to trot out there. But uh, I would like to see Christian Gray win a job. Uh, I just don't know which job he can win.
0: Yeah, you make a good point about not knowing his flaws yet. I, I, when you said that, I, <clears throat> I immediately thought of Steve Angeli because he and he played great against Oregon State, uh, and, and no doubt about that. handled the pressure, showed poise, loved that. But it it was a situation that was Notre Dame could run the football at will, which makes it easier to throw the football anyway. To the point, to the question, I I would, I I guess I look at this and hope that the safeties are. I mean, Watson, Heard. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And then the 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 two corners and and nickel probably come from certainly Benjamin Morrison, and then Mickey and and Gray. I I you know Lewis does Lewis come back? Does he? Make a decision, still make a decision before spring, after spring? I don't know. I've expressed my opinions about Jordan Clark. I don't think that he is a, I don't think he's the answer at the starting uh, nickel spot. I don't know if Mickey or Gray is the answer at the nickel spot, but I think those are the top two candidates. Question for, for me from Glasses Ref. Tim P., what physical and or mental characteristics do you analyze? When determining if a player is a left or right tackle, um, the simplest answer—I, I, I'm sure most people know this—but this is a more of a technical question. Not sure everybody is in tune with this, but I mean, left tackle—the first word that comes to mind is just mobility. Um, you know, the the ability to um, to to take on the best, fastest, most dangerous pass rusher. Uh, coming off the edge, whereas the right tackle is generally more of a run blocking, larger, uh, not as a depth pass blocker. Of course, he has to do the same thing. He has to block on his side, but generally speaking, the left tackle is facing the most athletic pass rusher on the team. And so that's what you're looking for. And that's why when we talk about that position uh, and, and, and debate it, who's the most mobile of Notre potential left tackles right now. Um, Emil Wagner looks to be that guy. Will he be big enough and strong enough to do that? Uh, I've been told that Tosh Baker is, will be ready to play left tackle by next year because he's not the same guy physically that he was in 2021 when that experiment failed. Um, but we're going to find out and Pete, does Norden get an offensive tackle in the, in the transfer portal?
1: I mean they they definitely wanted one. Uh I don't but I don't my hunch is that they're not going to get one because I just don't think there's anybody else out there that's good enough to do it. Um it's my belief that the guy that they wanted to enter, they hoped would enter the transfer portal is not entering the transfer portal. Uh and so that I think sort of scuppers that a little bit, but uh yeah, I, I just it's it's a position where more. I think probably more than any other position in the country, um, or at least certainly on Notre Dame's roster, the idea of finding an offensive lineman in the portal who's good enough to start at Notre Dame is very, very unlikely. Uh, I think the, the talent on hand is too good. The position requires years of learning. Um, the five as one, five, five eyes working as one concept I don't think you can do that in one off season. Um, so while maybe there would be somebody else out there that's technically better than what they have. I'm not sure there's somebody else out there that would fit the culture of the room and, and make the the entire offensive line better than what it's going to be with the guys already on campus.
0: You know, Pete, after the sun bowl, um, I said it and wrote it a couple of times that Jagu's is not a left tackle. Um, that was met with outrage In some instances, because hey, they can go from Joe Alt to Charles Jagasaw seamlessly. That that'll be great. And look, I'm not saying he can't or won't play left tackle. First of all, the version of Charles Jagasaw without any physical setbacks between now and next August, we're going to see a a much better conditioned, a healthier the knee injury would be in the past, uh, and a and a talented football player. I just think that. You know, Charles Jagasa in retreat, which is what you do as a pass blocker, is not him at his best. The former wrestler is at his best when he's spending most of his time moving forward.
1: Yeah, that when I went to, drove to Iowa to see him work out, I think it was after the spring, Marcus's first spring game. I think the timing of that lines up. But when I saw him work out and kick step and do lateral movements, I I had no doubt that this was like a left tackle. Um, then when he got to Notre Dame post knee injury, it it just didn't look the same. Um, but if with that knee injury in the rearview mirror and a full season of off off like conditioning, I I have no question in my mind that he can recapture that agility that I saw a couple of years ago. Um, you know, working with Lauren Landau, being flexible, and just I I think the wrestling movements are carry over beautifully um with the footwork and how to how to move so i i'd like to see jagus get a shot at it um but the fact that notre dame was really wanted to get a left tackle in the portal gives me a little bit of pause because (laughs) that that's you know it it says something when you wanted to find somebody
0: else well um i mean i agree with most of what you're saying there and i think that he can hit but among him, Wagner and Baker, if he's the most proficient at it, then that's the way they're going to have to go. And I'm not saying that he that he can't do that. I just I I think I will always stand by the same thing that I said with Blake Fisher: guards his best position. But but that but I mean that's on the NFL level. Yeah, you know I mean and and we're not talking about that. We're talking about what Norden needs a left tackle, one way or another. Since it doesn't look like they're going to get a tackle in the in the portal. Uh, unless they would get one after the spring, and I'm not sure that makes any more sense than it does right now. Um, two, two of Jagasell Wagner and Baker will be playing playing next year. Question from CMU Devils fan: Assuming Golden stays, L. Golden, when was the last time Notre Dame's coordinators generated this much confidence going into an off season? Related: When was the last time Notre Dame had two coordinators that you had more confidence in game and scheme wise than the head coach?
1: Uh, I I couldn't think of an example of the latter. Um, it's unique that way. You know, I, I like the, I thought the, the Reese Lee dynamic in 2020, I had a lot of confidence in that. Um, Lee was going into his third year. The defense had been incredible the previous two. So that, that would be one worth noting. Other than that, nothing really comes to mind for me. Um it's a great combination of coordinators anyway, but I think it's an even greater combination of coordinators for Marcus Freeman as a younger head coach.
0: This is all about perception. It's 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 all about perception. Al Golden's a, a great defensive coordinator, and Mike Denbrock is viewed, because he just had the number one scoring offense and number, total, uh, number one total offense in the Heisman Trophy winner, Perception of Mike Denbrock is at an all, all, all time high. And so people are very excited about that. I thought Chip Long and Clark Lee were pretty good. That was a good combo too. I thought Tommy Reese and Clark Lee were a pretty good uh, one, two punch there. But the perception on the outside was, was very different. And we're going to have to agree to disagree on that. But am I excited about Al Golden and Mike Denbrock? Absolutely thrilled about it. I do think that Mike Denbrock, uh, I spoke with Michael Young Jr. Uh, yesterday, and so Irish Illustrated readers will will have an opportunity to hear his thoughts on Marcus Freeman um, and Mike Denbrock and Mike Brown, who was his position coach as well. But uh, now perception is high. I agree with it. I think Nordame had a couple good combinations here fairly recently, but as far as from the outside looking in, um, people are, are very, very happy about that, and for good reason, because they do have a really dynamic duo there. We're going to wrap it up with a question from Wreckers33hot, and that is, how are you feeling about the state of the roster heading into the spring? Where would you prioritize portal additions either now or after spring ball? Is there any other glaring need? We've talked about the offensive line. Some people have brought up a veteran linebacker uh, with only one real veteran uh, on the on the roster now, in Jack Kaiser,
1: I there's no glaring need, um, and I don't I don't know what I would prioritize in a, as an extra addition at this point. Um, so no, I I feel that this is a really strong roster. Uh, I think like Notre Dame's, and it, it it sort of takes me back to the we had a question earlier about like what do you think they're going to be better in 2025 or 2024. I didn't think the 2024, my perception of the 2024 team a year ago isn't nearly as good as it is today. I mean, this team got a lot better over the course of the, of the last 12 months. Um, some of that is development. A lot of that is transfer portal. So I, I think the roster is in great shape. The The entire program to me feels like it is all in on making the playoff right now. Um, and that whatever comes after that comes after that. but uh, I think the roster is in very strong shape, and if I was a Notre Dame fan, I would feel like the expectations, it's a it's a very playoff or bust, and it may even be a playoff and win a game in the playoff or bust type of season coming for Notre Dame next season.
0: If Keon Keeley wanted to come to Notre Dame and be a pass rusher for them, I wouldn't turn that down. I don't know how possible that is, uh, but the fact that the head coach just retired, um, let's say unlocks the door. I don't know if it even opens it to a jar. Well, I mean,
1: just from a, a, a rules point, there's a 30 day window now where everybody at, at Alabama, you got a, you got a chance to, to portal again, even though the portal is closed.
0: So I would, whether, whether this had happened or not, I would have said a pass rusher. Now I don't think no, that was Nardame's mindset. I think they feel good about where they are uh, with RJ Oben coming in and, and presumably Jordan Botello coming back and Josh Burnham being another year older and Boobkar Traore a, a, a having an oppor- opportunity as well. Uh, but I would still, you know, not that Keon Keeley's an established pass rusher, but we know, we know what that, what his capabilities are. Um, you got your safety. Uh, you know, I don't think Notre Dame looks at the linebacker situation like everybody else or, or some that are looking for a, veteran do because they have Kaiser they have Sneed, another year older they love Osbury they uh, they love Bowen obviously they love Kingston Viliamuasa I don't you know I I think that they're who am I leaving who am I leaving out there Preston Zinner I'm not sure that he's in the running but I I mean I still think that that's a big long body that you can do some things with long term so I don't think Notre Dame's looking at the linebacker situation the way i i can like only a couple people that i've seen actually mention linebacker otherwise i mean i think yeah, a strong I, roster yeah
1: and I, I think the linebacker position we're still sort of in the mindset if there are three linebackers on the field they're not you know it's there you need two linebackers yeah. at a time not three um you know where does Kahanu kia fit into the mix that's
0: um a, oh wow that's a, i'm glad you brought that up because if he develops as a pass rusher
1: Yes, yeah, is, he, is he more viper? Is he you know somebody that you could fit inside? I don't know. Um, I'm assuming he's probably more of a viper than anything um, else. I would but think so. yeah, but uh, he's just an, another piece to the puzzle there um, that you know you can you can work with.
0: Well, Pete, good stuff. Appreciate you joining us today in the absence of of uh, Tim O'Malley. Tim O'Malley will be back next week, and hopefully, you will be be as well, uh, Pete, on Thursday, January 18th for our next edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. Thanks for joining us.